is a privilege to be here. I uh, have been at Countryside Bible Church many times, and it's finally nice to come to, to the real church here in Texas. Um, Pastor Tom will kill me tonight, but that's okay. Um, it, it, it truly is a privilege to be here. I've heard so many amazing things about North Lake Bible Church, and um, it's, it's such a privilege um, humbling to be here today with you and to open the scriptures. I, I do love Dusty. Um, I know he's younger than me by a lot, um, but um, I, I mean this. I want to be like him when I grow up. Uh, I hope you understand how, how privileged you are to have him as your pastor, to have this as your church. I get to now travel all over the country. I'll get that, to that in just a sec and talk about Excel. But I hope you understand truly to sit in a church where a pastor himself loves the Lord, loves his family, has a high view of the scriptures, preaches expository preaching, working his way now through the book of Hebrews. You think you sing theologically rich songs instead of like, Jesus is my boyfriend songs or whatever they sing out there. You get to sing these songs, listen to the reading of God's word, and don't take that for granted. Keep praying for Dusty, pray for the elders, pray for each other, and for God's will in the years ahead. Um, These are exciting days, but it's very easy to get distracted. Uh, So stay the course, will you? Be faithful. So... I do get to work with Excel. Rocky Wyatt, those of you that know him, sends you his greetings. I have the privilege of working with Rocky on a regular basis. I talk with him almost every day. And uh, Excel has been a, a ministry I've been a part of for 30 years. It's Rocky and Chris Reiser and I founded it 30 years ago. But um, we, we do, as Dusty so adequately said, we, we train men in past, for pastoral ministry. We, we help churches train elders. And thirdly, we help churches train their missionaries before they go out, um, specifically to the unreached people groups in the world. So we have the privilege of doing those three things, helping churches train pastors, train their elders, and train missionaries. And it's a great, great privilege. You can imagine the need in those three areas. Here and around the world, I I fly home back to California. Go ahead. We're sorry. I know. I I go back to that. And everything, by the way, that you've heard about is real. Um, there's no exaggeration. It is crazy. And uh, so pray for us, the remnant that are still there. Um, but I'll fly home tomorrow, and then a week from tomorrow, I'll fly to Romania as XL is working with some 30 churches in Bucharest there. So um, the, the XL ministry borders are expanding, and uh, it's exciting. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a great privilege. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, as our Bible is open on our laps and our minds are focused on you, would you preach through your preacher, through your, by your spirit, through your word, to the souls of your people? Would you be honored in everything that is said this morning? May Christ be exalted we have a greater desire to live for him and glorify him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
If you have your Bible, please do turn to Psalm 23. It wasn't an accident that Dusty led us in this song, uh, The Shepherd, just a moment ago. I have the, the privilege and challenge this morning of preaching through Psalm 23. The privilege because it is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. It has meant so much to my own soul in the last year and a half. And the challenge, because it is so familiar to you. It would be easy for you to say, I know this. I pray, and it has been my prayer for this morning, that you will see this psalm afresh. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 23 the pearl of the psalms. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Psalm 23, said this, Depth and strength underlie the simplicity of this psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacency. There is readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax reveals a love which homes toward no material goal but the Lord himself. Amen. The psalm is written, of course, by King David and by all accounts in a season of King David's life of peace and contentment. And the only thing about David's life, his life was much like ours. Peace and contentment, valleys of darkness, peace and contentment, all heck breaks loose, peace and contentment, like that's life. It was certainly life for David. Life when David would be, have a good relationship with the Lord, Places when David's life where he's abject sinning against the Lord, repenting, fine, sinning, fine. Anybody else relate? Sounds like our life, doesn't it? That's King David. King David, arguably the, the most powerful man in all of Israel at the time, the king, writes this psalm. Read it with me. It's only a few verses. The Lord... Or Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe you have an outline, but my outline is simple this morning. The Lord is our shepherd in the best of times. He's our shepherd in the worst of times. And he is our shepherd forever. First of all, my shepherd is there in the best of times. The first phrase is iconic in and of itself. The Lord is my shepherd. Or if you have your legacy standard Bible, Yahweh is my shepherd. The Lord or Yahweh is the name for God that was given to Moses at the burning bush. You remember that passage? It literally means, the name Yahweh literally means I am who I am. Remember Moses said, what's your name? Who shall I, when I go to Pharaoh, who shall I say sent me? And God said, my name is, I am who I am. 
The name speaks of the timelessness of God and the self-sufficiency of God on the other. Both the timelessness and the self-sufficiency of God. I am who I am. God's self-sufficiency means that God needs nothing. Think about that. You and I need a lot of things. God needs nothing. He needs no wisdom from anyone else. He has all wisdom in himself. He needs no power. He is all-powerful. He does not need to be worshipped or helped or served. Nor is he accountable to anyone. He answers only to himself. The Lord, Yahweh, is the sovereign God of the universe. He is timeless. His timelessness means that God is always the same in these eternal traits and attributes. He was like this yesterday. He is like this today. And he will be like this tomorrow. He is unchanged and unchangeable forever. We speak about this in theology has the immutability of God. Yahweh. Sovereign God, his timelessness and self-sufficiency. And beloved, please remember that the whole of the rest of the psalm means nothing if we don't properly understand who Yahweh is. When we rightly have a high view of who God is. I am who I am, the Lord, Yahweh, his absolute self-sufficiency, his absolute timelessness. Then we will have a proper appreciation for the truths that follow. David begins by telling us, I'm talking about in this psalm, Yahweh, the Lord. And connected to this name, declare, David declares that this God, the Lord Yahweh, I am who I am, this all-sufficient, timeless, powerful, sovereign God of the universe, notice, is his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. A phrase loaded both practically and theologically. David, as I said a moment ago, arguably the most powerful king at in the, in the world, certainly of Israel, declares the fact that he has someone who rules over him. Is it not true that the people that govern us could use a healthy dose of that? A recognition that they have people who rule over them, that they are accountable to, that they will answer to one day. Think how different our world would be if our leaders properly understood that. David did understand that. I am the king, but I have a shepherd. I have one who leads me, who guides me, who I answer to. Someone who provides for him, comforts him, shepherds him. And this shepherd is none other than Yahweh. David would understand this relationship in at least two very important ways. One, remember that as a boy, David was a shepherd. He understands what it means to be a shepherd and the role of a shepherd in looking after the sheep. Second, David would have been familiar with the title or with God himself associating himself as a shepherd. This isn't the first time in all of scripture that God is recognized or declares himself to be the shepherd of his people. 
course then, if God were the shepherd, David is saying that he is the sheep. Think about that for a minute. What humility. David is the king of Israel and understands, yeah, that might be my title, but, but before God... The real sovereign ruler of the universe, the real king of kings and lord of lords, I'm just a sheep. I don't have to take much time this morning to tell this educated audience about sheep. They're, they're not known as the smartest tool in the shed, right? Not many nations have a sheep as their mascot. Russia, the bear. England, the lion. United States, there is a United States outside of Texas. You understand that. The, the, the United States, the eagle. Canada, the beaver. Okay, just forget that one. Those Canadians don't get it, but... But nobody has a sheep as their national emblem, their national animal. Nobody picked the sheep because they're dumb. They're totally defenseless, right? Nobody's picking that one. But David says, connected to that wonderful first phrase, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd... He's the one who leads and guides me, and believe me, we'll get to this. That we all need someone who we're accountable to and lead and guide us, right? Because we're sheep. David understands, I, under God, I'm a sheep. And I need a shepherd. And David would say in the next phrase in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Again, as far as we know, this psalm was written during a time of peace and prosperity in David's life. And that probably means all the more for us. And if it was during a, a difficult time in David's life, we might understand more. You know, I shall not want. I mean, he, he, the Lord is there and he's providing for me. But, but when all is good... We sometimes want more. But David says, I shall not want. God provides for me all of my needs. I am not in want of anything. I am absolutely content. Oh, how we need to say that, do we not? Are you content this morning? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have to confess, and to my shame, I can't always say that. I want stuff. I see an, I have an okay car, Ford Edge, not bad. My bike fits in there just nice, but I see another car, and I'm like, I like that car. I see these clothes, and I, I like those clothes. I seen the other person's house, and I have a fine house. It's 26 years old, but it's fine. But I see these other people's house. I, I like that house. I like to have a house at the beach. 
house in the mountains or whatever the case might be. That looks nice. I told the men on Friday night, I love cycling is my hobby. I love to ride my bike. And my bike is expensive. Costs more than my daughter's car. But I always want more. I have better carbon wheels and better group set and which is the chain and stuff. And my friends have more expensive bikes than me. And I'm like, oh, that's a nice bike. I always get a few grams lighter and a few grams lighter is losing weight. But, you know, the, the cheap way or the easy way is just pay $2,000 more for 10 grams less. I'm not alone though, am I? Don't leave me hanging. I forget who said it, but somebody rightly said our hearts are idol factories. Right? We always just want more. How much do you have? Oh, and I want more. And we here in the United States, in the People's Republic of Texas, we have so much, don't we? Oh, that we could say and mean it, King David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I am content with what I have. And then in verse 2, David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. These famous verses. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A sheep, a sheep needs to eat and drink. David says God provides this for David. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Isn't this the work of the shepherd for a sheep? Because left alone, they'll just stay in the same place. They'll starve to death. That's how dumb they are. They'll just eat everything in that one spot. Hey, you need to go to the next spot. Oh, that's good. Okay. And there's water, right? Oh, thank you. I'll go over there. The Lord provides the water and the food that you need. In verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Think about what David just did here in verse 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, those are the needs. If a sheep could talk... And obviously they can't. If a sheep could talk, they could say verse 2. My shepherd provides me with food and water. The two most necessary things for a sheep, food and water. God provides that for them. But think about this. Verse 3 are the two most important things for you and me. The sheep can't say verse 3. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness. Beloved, you and I need our soul restored, do we not? And you and I need to be led in paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. Why? Why do we need God to restore my soul? The obvious reason is because we can't do it ourselves. Our soul is dark. And sinful and evil in and of itself. I can't restore my own soul and neither can you. Only God can do that. 
And David proclaims that is what God does in his life. God restores my soul. And then he leads me in paths of righteousness. David proclaims, I need to, and I can say I need to, and I think you can say you need to. We need to be led in paths of righteousness. Why? Because left to ourself, which path are we choosing? Put us in neutral, and our bent is to go where? Oh, sin, that's easy. That looks like fun. That's great. Put us in neutral. Leave us to ourselves. And more often than not, where does our mind go? Where does our heart go? Sin. David recognizes, I need to be led in paths of righteousness. Because I know my heart. Remember it was Isaiah in Isaiah 53 who said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away everyone to his own way. That's our heart. We need someone to lead us in paths of righteousness. I'm reminded of those powerful words in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness, makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The Lord is there in the best of times. Secondly, please notice the Lord is there, thankfully, in the worst of times. Our shepherd is there in the worst of times. I don't know how many funerals I've done in the last 38 years. A lot. And one of the most familiar passages I'm asked to read is Psalm 23. For this one verse in particular, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know that verse, but I pray that you will see it afresh this morning. Valley of the shadow of death, literally the valley of deep darkness. The valley of deep darkness. David, David proclaims God is with us even in the darkest moments of our lives. In depression, loss, cancer, rejection. And a million other descriptors. God is with us. Before we get too far, I want you to hear me, beloved. The path, listen, the path into the valley of the shadow of death. The path into the valley of the shadow of death is as much of God's right path for us as is the green pastures and still waters. I'll say that one more time. The path into the valley of the shadow of death is as much of God's right path for us as is the green pastures and still waters. God in his sovereignty sometimes leads us to the mountaintops. 
And sometimes in his sovereignty leads us into the dark valleys. And we know from experience, do we not, that sometimes, often, most of the time, it is in those dark valleys that we draw closer to the Lord and learn more about ourselves and more about the Lord than we do in the best of times. And because of that, in God's love for us, he says, I know this is going to hurt. I know this is going to be painful. I know this is going to be dark. But because I love you, here we go. Please let us get out of our mind that God shows his love for us only when life is good. And God has somehow abandoned us in the worst of times. Where did God go? God doesn't care. Sometimes God absolutely loves you and cares about you because you're going through those dark times. Please know that. Notice too, the main characteristic of these valleys. I will fear no evil. The valley of darkness is a valley of fear. You're not fearful when you're lying around in green pastures or drinking cool waters, are you? That's good, man. When you're in the valley of darkness, there is fear. I don't know about you, when I was little, I needed a nightlight. Don't turn the lights out. Don't close the doors. One of my kids, who shall remain unnamed, but they're 21 years old, they still have a nightlight. Because it's dark. I don't want to go into that dark cave. That's fearful. How much more, beloved, the darkness of our lives. The darkness of depression, the darkness of cancer, the darkness of illness, the darkness of watching your kids suffer, the darkness of feeling alone and apart from God. Whatever the darkness may be for you, it is fearful because I don't know where or how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what's happening. I feel out of control. That is fearful, is it not? And I don't know how long this is going to last. Notice it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not death, but it's a shadow of it. It's dark. It's death-like, but not quite there. But it's fearful beyond almost description. It's the valley of the shadow of death. This isn't describing depression. I'm, I'm not sure of a better way to describe it. I've had my moments and many of you have too. I'm not talking about just having the blues. Just having a bummer of a day. I'm talking about darkness in your life. Beloved, I pray that you are not ashamed to say something about that. Please do not give in to the lie that has a Christian, I'm just supposed to be happy all the time. And that if I'm depressed or if I'm down or if somehow I've fallen into this, that somehow I'm not a real Christian or I'm not a strong Christian, 
That is a lie from the pit of hell. You look back in history, some of the strongest, most faithful men and women of God have suffered from this. And I read you two quotes from the Prince of Preachers. Who? Charles Spurgeon. Listen to what Spurgeon says. I know what wise, he means this little tongue in cheek. I, I know what wise brethren say. He should not give way to feelings of depression. Quite right. We should no more. But we do. And perhaps when your brain is as weary as ours, you will not bear yourselves more bravely than we do. Again, quoting the, the, the wise Christian. But desponding people are very much to be blamed. Well, it's their fault. They did something to get there. Spurgeon would say, I know they are, but they are also very much to be pitied. And perhaps if those who blame quite so furiously could once know what depression is, they would think it cruel to scatter blame where comfort is needed. There are experiences of the children of God which are full of spiritual darkness. And I am almost persuaded that those of God's servants who have been most highly favored have nevertheless suffered more times of darkness than others. How does Spurgeon know that? If you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he suffered from depression. Debilitating depression. Weeks where he could not get out of bed. Would any of us call Charles Spurgeon an ungodly person? Suck it up, man. Come on, read your Bible. Let's go. He was 22 years old when they moved out of his building to another building because the crowds were so big. One day, there were thousands of people in this hall. Some teenage boy yelled, fire. As they would say in England, there was a crush. Seven people died and 28 people were injured. And Charles Spurgeon never got over that. He blamed himself the rest of his life because of those seven people who died. And he had weeks and sometimes months of darkness in his life. And so he would say, lastly, it is profitable to be driven into loneliness that we may prove whether we are solely trusting in God or not. Spurgeon knew enough to pray, God, don't waste my suffering. Don't waste it. It is a bad thing to be standing when, with one foot on the sea and the other on the land. We must get both feet on the rock of ages or the foot which stands upon the sea of changeful self will be our downfall. My soul wait only on God when faith's only foundation is the power and faithfulness of the Lord. She learns to glory in the absence of all visible help and sings with joyful heart. Yea, though I walk through death's dark valley, unattended by a human companion, I will fear no evil for my God is near. Amen. I pray, beloved. Whatever you're going through, whether it be sickness, whether it be 
abandonment, whether it be depression, whatever it might be, I pray that we would stop, I mean this in all humility, the nonsense of having to feel like I got to put on the mask and be happy and not be real. This is real. Why is David talking about the valley of shadow of death if it's not real? This is David, the man, after, the man that God said was the man after my own heart. This is real. Beloved, you would do yourself a great favor, and I'm begging you, whatever darkness you may be going through, don't be ashamed of it. I'll get to that in just a minute. But I beg of you, go to Dusty. He will have compassion on your soul, not tell you, oh, knock it off. Go to the elders. Go to somebody that you love and tell them and have them pray with you. It's okay. Can I point something else out to you? Please notice the psalmist, King David, makes a major shift in pronouns from verses 1 through 3 to verse 4. Verses 1 through 3, in the best of times, what were the pronouns? The Lord is my shepherd. He, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, right? He, he's the pronoun that you say to somebody who's not with you. He, I know that guy. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's a good guy. She's a good person. But in verse 4, it changes, does it not? In the valley of the shadow of death, David says what? Not he, you. You are with me. Best of time, he, yeah, God's out there. Valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Use a pronoun that you have to use when you're looking at somebody, or at least know they're there. Are you here? I'm here. You let us know, beloved, in the worst of times, God is there. He is present. It feels like God has disappeared. It feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It feels like God has left you. He has not. David recognized in the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. James Montgomery Boyce, great pastor from Philadelphia, said, We are never so conscious of God's presence than when we pass through life's dark valleys. You are with me. Lastly, our shepherd is there in the best of times. Our shepherd is there in the worst of times. Our shepherd is there forever. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. House of the Lord. No, date, no doubt David is referring here to the tabernacle as the temple was not built. Remember, David's son would build the temple, but the tabernacle is God's house, if you will. Of course we know. And we've read Psalm 139. God is everywhere. But where was God's manifest presence in the earth at this time? 
between the wings of the cherubim, above the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, God's manifest presence was there. David could rightly say, this is the house of the Lord. But I don't want to just dwell in the tabernacle. I want to be where God is. I want to be in God's presence. That's where the real house of the Lord is forever. <coughs> Let me ask you an honest question. Who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Does anybody get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? In California, if the news wants to ask questions, they go to Costco. Do they, they do that here? They stand outside Costco and like ask people questions? It's a weird California thing, okay. If you were to put a microphone in the face of the average Texan and say, do you think you get to go to the house of the Lord? Are you going to the house of the Lord when you die? What would they say? I bet they'd say yes. And if you had a follow-up question and say why, they'd probably say something like, well, I'm a good person. Good people get to dwell in the house of the Lord. Really? Is that how it works? Good people get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? God has scales, and somehow if your good works outweigh your bad, like 51%, then oh, you're in. Is that how this works? I mean, it's easy for us to say, oh, I know Osama bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, they're not in the house of the Lord. Those are easy ones. But honest question, who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? I'll make it easy for you. None of us are good. Isaiah 64, 6, we all have become like one who is unclean. And all our unrighteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. You know the passage in Romans 3, 10, as it is written, none is righteous. What? No, not one. How many? You might say in Texas, not y'all, but all y'all. All y'all are sinners. Right? So who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Go back to the very first phrase. Who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? The person that can say, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Not my wife's shepherd. Not my husband's shepherd, not my kid's shepherd, not my parents' shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh, he is my shepherd. That's who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now take it one step further as Dusty so rightly read from Psalm, or from John 10 earlier. Because to go to the New Testament, we find out who this shepherd is. Because Jesus will proclaim in John 10, 11, I am. One of the I am's. I am. The I am who I am. I am. The self-sufficient and timeless God. I am. The good shepherd. The shepherd that David spoke about in Psalm 23. That's me. I am the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Beloved, who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? The, the one who says, and only the one who says, Jesus is my shepherd. He laid down his life for me. I don't know all of you. I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. I'm grateful that you're here. But if you walked in this morning and you walked in thinking like so many of us did and do, that I'm going to get to heaven, to the house of the Lord, because I'm a good person, that's not true. I'm going to get to heaven because I go to church, even a great church like this. That's not true. I can get to heaven because I give enough. That's not true. I go to heaven because I work in Sunday school. God bless you. That's not true. Our only hope of going to heaven is in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by me. Can you honestly say, Jesus is my shepherd, and you know that your only hope of getting there is because he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. You recognize your sin, you have repented of your sin, you have ran to Jesus alone as your savior. You're not trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in your 401k, you're not trusting in your super clean garage, you are trusting in Jesus alone. And you place your faith in him alone. That's who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray if you've never done that, that you will run to Jesus today. This Jesus who is with you in the best of times, this Jesus who will be with you in the darkest of times, is also your Savior. Beloved, I pray that Psalm 23 has been encouragement to your soul. If you do know Jesus, if you, if you can say this morning, Jesus is my shepherd. I pray that this has been an encouragement to your own soul, that you would know and see this passage afresh. He's with us in the best of times. He's absolutely with us in the worst of times. And will you, will you go to somebody and talk to somebody about that? He is with me in the best of times. And in the worst of times, you can say, you are here. And thank God we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that is our future. Not because of anything to do with us, but because only because of Jesus. Amen? I leave you by reading the psalm one last time. I'll close and we'll sing. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and this, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we 
thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks to our soul. Your word indeed is powerful. Your word speaks to us in the best of times and in the worst of times. I thank you, Lord, for those that are here today that life is pretty good. And I pray, God, for those who are right now walking through dark valleys. I pray, God, that you would strengthen them and give them the courage to speak up. I know they've been talking to you. They've been crying out to you. But I pray that you would give them the courage to speak up to somebody else. To acknowledge this is what they're walking through. And I pray that we as a church would have compassion and love and bear one another's burdens. We would not be flippant, but that we would be absolutely compassionate. And Lord, for those that do not know you, God, in your sovereignty, by your spirit, would you open their eyes to see the reality of their sin and their need for Jesus to be their savior. Would you draw them to yourself even today? Would they run to Christ? For those of us that do know you, thank you for this song. Thank you for all that it has meant and will mean in the days ahead. And thank you, Lord, for the promise that through Jesus, we will be in the house of the Lord forever. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.